Hello everyone, welcome to the Entertainment Vehicle. I'm your host Mitch, the chauffeur if you will. This episode, I will be talking about the first episode of Moon Knight. Holy crap, was it ever good. Um, I legitimately had zero knowledge of Moon Knight going in. I only know of him because I have used him in a board game called Heroclix, and he's got nasty melee and range, so... I mean, he's good there. That being said, uh, after this episode, I am really a lot more curious about him. I might have to look at some of his comics. Um, I'm, I think it's cool because we've seen a lot of modern takes of, like, the Greek mythology and hero tropes with, like, obviously Justice League. Uh, as a kid, I liked the Percy Jackson books, and that was kind of like the Greek gods, but also they were heroes. Um... How many Hercules movies have been done? Fucking a bajillion. Like, it's kind of nice to see something take place with a little bit of a Egyptian mythology. I mean, my current knowledge is limited to Amon Ra. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Probably not even right. Having a bird face. And now I know about Amit, the alligator-faced, maybe a crocodile? Later gator. I'm assuming gator. Um, But yeah. Oh, I guess I forgot there was that movie a couple years ago with Jamie Lannister as a fucking Egyptian god, so... That movie actually wasn't bad, like, they had to stop him from before they got to the end of the afterlife or, like, the River Nile or whatever. That was cool. I might have to rewatch that. Anywho, it is time to talk about Moon Knight, because, oh my, that was a banger. Now, I'm almost positive that my initial thoughts were pretty similar to everyone else's, and those are, what the fuck was that ritual? Like, homeboy poured water, question mark? Possibly some sort of spiritual alcohol, or, I don't know, heavenly... Who knows? He's a weird guy, obviously. Um... But he poured it from a perfectly reasonable-sized glass into a much smaller glass. And then he dipped his grubby-ass fingers in there, and he tried to do, like, the rim job instrument that they do with crystal cups. And then he took the shot, wrapped it up in his little bandana, took his special cane, smashed the fucking glass. I always, Whenever I say smash, I always picture that one homeless dude with the axe. So, mash! Yeah. Uh, but then this motherfucker proceeded to put the glass shards in his sandals, put them on his feet, and then get up and walk around. Like, what the fuck are you on, mate? Homeboy's gonna be having glass shards, like, traveling up his leg if he keeps that up. But anyway, then it cuts to the theme with some different music than normal, which I'm big sad about because I love the Marvel theme. Why they gotta fuck with us like that? And then, after the theme, it's flash forward? I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't know when the glass foot ceremony happened. So it could be like flash forward, backward, sideways. Who the fuck knows? But then we go and we see our main mans. He wakes up with one of the strangest fetishes I've ever seen. And he has one foot bound to a post while he slept. Strange, but whatever gets your rocks off. Um... Then we are introduced to my number one favorite, Gus the One-Finned Wonder. I love him. I, I hope he's in every episode and somehow tied to the Moon Knight. Like maybe he's the voice in his head. 
Spoilers. And we get to see our guy ignore multiple boundaries, like sleeping on the dude's backpack, which I get you're tired, but come on, man. We'll see. And then he gets to his job and we find out his name is Steve, which we might have found out earlier. I don't know. But we also find out that he also has the hottest girlfriend in the entire MCU. No doubt about it. And like, feel free to at me. I don't even care. I'm fully convinced. I would abandon basically any type of diet to take her on a date. And honestly, at this point, I just need to add like a simping segment to all of these episodes because, holy crap, Hollywood celebrities are hot. Who knew? Now, Donna, while in the TV show, is hilarious. His boss that was riding his ass. I do have to say, I've worked for many a Donna, and I felt bad for him. That's not fun. Poor guy. Let's take a moment of silence for our homie. Then, another boundary crossing moment is Steven sits on a bench talking to one of the buskers doing the statue act, and he basically is just turning the man into his therapist. And part of me feels sorry, but like, at the same time, he is paying him, and he's convincing other people to pay him, and like, it's not like the dude swore a blood oath to the statuette people, like, he could technically just tell him to fuck off, and there would really be no problem other than him being a little bit mean. Um, so I'm predicting at some point he's going to end up being a real homie. If not, I would kind of think it would be funny for them to do the whole break character to tell him fuck off thing. I don't know. And then we find out that Steven is a super huge Egyptian mythology nerd, and he's trying to, well, actually his way into being the tour guide at the museum. And as I said, I don't know any of the gods, and I didn't pay close enough attention, but there's the poster where he's like, oh, you're missing two gods. I'm curious to know if those two gods are important. I don't want to be spoiled, so I'm not looking it up, but we'll find out. Um, Honestly, though, it could just be some sort of nerdy development for him like oh look how big a nerd he is he cares about that so you never know now for the fun stuff a little bit of boring stuff and then some fun stuff so the a little bit boring stuff is he tries to stay awake with all sorts of different techniques like reading books doing puzzles blah 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 but a how does he go in between the bed and the table if his ankle is tied up and b Tossing a Rubik's Cube and catching it count as doing puzzles to stay awake. Like, maybe they're just showing him us that he's so dumb he can't even look up algorithms to solve it, so the puzzle is tossing it up and catching it. No, that'd be whack. But, uh, anyway, all of a sudden he flashes to him lying on the ground with what appears to be a broken jaw, but I don't know, he's got a fucking prominent-ass jaw that could just been sticking out there. Who fucking knows? Um. But he hears an ominous voice. He's like, go back to sleep, worm. And he's trying to figure out what's going on. He, he, there's like cultists in a castle. He runs away from them. And then we see uh, Jesus. And like that dude goes to the center of the town. And our homeboy, Steve, is apparently nosy as fuck. But they do a couple of tests with a cane that was used to break the glass from the opening sequence. 
Um, and the test that they do, that they have him do, really reminds me of a podcast I listen to. It's called Small Town Murder. Really good if you like true crime comedy. Uh, I'm not associated with them. They don't know I exist, but it's hilarious. So, yeah, go check it out. Um, but they detail a story about a man in Rulo, Nebraska, who had, like, a cult following. Something he did was called the arm test. It was basically, they put their arm out, and he put, like, one arm on their shoulder, one hand on their wrist, and then if their arm went down, it was no, and if it stayed up, it was a yes, and he lied that it was a sign from Yahweh, which is God. Crazy motherfuckers, right? Um... But then the way that they handle the fighting in these type of scenes is actually kind of fun because it's like a beginning of a hint to the brutality because he just wakes up covered in blood with like six dudes on the ground. But it also saves money for later and we might be able to get some dope ass CGI fights with some other dope ass motherfuckers. Who knows? I don't know who's going to be fighting who. But uh, a few times he just blacks out, comes to, they're all down on the floor. It's cool as fuck. Um, but then a second cult reference that might have been a sneaky one was when he was driving away from the compound in the ice cream truck and the Go Go song by Boy George was playing. It's interesting because the leader of the Heaven's Gate cult like forced androgyny to his people and shit. Probably because he was gay as hell and taught to hate it, but fucking that's some other weird shit, but whatever. But anyway, he also loved Boy George because Boy George was androgynous and he was like, oh, fuck, I love Boy George. He does. He likes shit I like. And I don't know, that was a neat little tie-in. Um, I, on the other hand, like the song by Boy George because it's a goddamn bop. But then we get one of the best interactions yet. And, like, the cars are chasing him. And the back windows broke out. All the windows are shot out. Shit, obvious, because he fucking kicked ass. They shot at him. He kicked their ass more. Whatever. But then the car's behind him. And for some reason, he just chucks the gun behind him like, at the car, and the ominous disembodied voice, or the ODV, I guess, for sure. He says, did you just throw the gun? And he's like, I don't know what I'm doing! <laughs> and the ODV says back, like, leave us alone, parasite. And, like, the whole time the ODV is talking, he's also talking to another dude inside the dude called Mark, and, like, just as homeboy's about to croak after, like, he almost running into a big-ass logging truck. He wakes up in his bed, which means, like, it's all a dream, right? All that crazy shit. There's no ODV. It's not real. There's no Jesus with glass in his feet. Uh, But then he goes to feed our favorite fish. And oh my fucking God, what the fuck? Where is Gus? The precious vital character has been replaced with a fraud. And he goes to the goldfish store and asks... If fish can grow back fins, and they can't, obvious. They're not lizards. 
And the woman implies that, like, he had been in there the day before asking about a one-fin fish, and she said, no one sells one-fin fish. So I'm assuming our friendly neighborhood museum aide is really a monster and a terrible pet owner, and while he was traipsing through the English countryside with sex cults, our dearest Gus was starving, struggling with his cute single fin. Hardly redeemable. But anyway, as he's at the store, he notices, oh, I'm going to be late for a very important date. And he goes, gets ready for the steak dinner with my dream girl. And, like, I've never been to a big city like that, but I'm super curious if they have such accommodating outdoor seating. That'd be kind of cool, because it was, like, it was a dope, it was a good vibe, is all I'll say. But, um, if so, I'm jealous, that's all. But he calls up our girl, and she's pissed because homeboy apparently missed the date, which was on Friday, because he woke up on motherfucking Sunday, which maybe that's also reminding us that he's an idiot because he can't just look at his phone and see that it's Sunday. Boy's got a smartphone. My phone says it's Sunday, and that thing was cheap. But anyway, like, get an alarm clock, nerd. Maybe if you just went to bed at a decent time instead of trying to stay up, you wouldn't sleep all day into weird ass times. However, I I mean I've got I've got depression, so I gotta I hate to say it, I understand, like I get it. Haven't you noticed the irregularity in the posting times? Uh anyway, she tells him to kick rocks and the man gives up his veganism by ordering the best part of the steak cooked really good. Really good, which ends up being I don't know the cut of the steak. I fucking I get whatever's cheapest, and he got it well done. Which, as a vegan, I doubt that's the best way for a vegan to eat the first steak. But then again, they probably wouldn't like it bloody. <sighs> that's tough. I don't think steak would be an early meal for a vegan. They'd have to eat a lot of meat if they were getting back to that point. A lot of chicken, fish, shit like that. But anyway, uh, that doesn't even fucking matter. Uh, Then, uh, after missing his date, he calls his mom. And at this point, I'm straight up concerned his mom is dead. Like, I'm antisocial as fuck. And if I left a voicemail or a message for my mom saying that I'd call her the next day, but I didn't call her the next day or, like, a couple of days after, I'm sure she'd think I was lying about calling her the next day. But if I still went multiple days without calling or messaging, she'd, like, be calling the cops, sending a welfare check to my house. 100%. Um, I mean, in his case, they'd find all the sand around the bed, the weird binding, the the weird books, and they'd think he belonged to the Batman universe as one of the Riddler's goons. That shit could look psychotic as fuck. They'd, they'd call it satanic for sure. Um... But then he kind of goes crazy in the mirror because his reflection was acting weird. And I mean, I understand. I would too. But then he gets scared by an old lady. She gets scared by him. And then he comes back to his room and he notices scratches by his table. And he's like, oh, I wonder. It kind of looks like I slid my table over. And then he looked up above the table, saw he had a missing panel. So he checks the missing panel. And what do you know? There's, like, a phone, a key, maybe some other shit. I don't remember. Um, But then he charges up the phone, and he sees that someone called Layla called a million and a half times. And there was someone else in there, too. It was, like, to Champ or some shit. 
I don't know. Maybe that's exactly it. It feels like it might be. I'm not going to look it up. Um, But she called him. She calls him Mark. He's like, whoa, why'd you call me that? Because OVD was calling him Mark or talking to Mark or whatever. So he's freaked out. It's kind of like in Batman versus Superman. Batman would, why'd you say Martha? But anyway. She acts like he's crazy and hangs up, and, like, all of a sudden, there's a creepy figure that's, like, a Grim Reaper with a hawk, which actually might be Amon, Amon Ra? Amon Ra, but maybe he owns the OVD. That could be him. And, oh, I fucked up. I did my notes wrong. Uh, Stevie then wakes up on his bus to work and sees the scary ODV man again. Then runs into work, and his boss gets right up his ass again the instant he walks in the door. Like, relax, Donna. He can't be an asshole to everybody. Uh, and then Marshall Applewhite slash Jesus comes out of nowhere with his band of misfit simps. And he and Stevie hold hands, and they have a happy ending. The end. But he does his little arm scale test thing. And his arm scale starts wobbling back and forth super duper fast. And he tells Stevie, you have chaos inside or some shit like that. And I mean, like, yeah, listen to the voices in his head. Man's going crazy. Um, But then he runs away. And for some reason, he still manages to stay all night at the museum to go do the inventory. I also have to say, as much as he seems like a loser, dude's got some work ethic. Although... That may add to his loserness by having, like, zero care for his well-being, so I don't know. Anyway, we hear some doggies in the museum, and he goes and investigates. And I instantly thought we were entering the Stillerverse, and, like, our favorite cult leader had fucking Night at the Museum powers or something, but... No, instead he just uses the intercom and tells him to give him the beetle, and if he doesn't, he will be ripped to shreds by the Hellhound, or whatever the Egyptian equivalent is. I don't know. I'm sure there's something. Um, But anyway, that he has a little thing with that. And he runs into a strange room that is supposed to be a bathroom, but it's literally just lines of sinks and mirrors. And the whole time, the ODV is talking to him, telling him to release control to Mark. We will handle this. Release control. All that shit. Um, but then he's in that room, and all of a sudden, his reflection just perp Like, he properly actually talks to him, not just sits there like an ominous shadow. And he's like, yo, what's poppin'? I'm Mark. I'm tough. I'm cool. Uh, I got training. I can beat this monster up. Just submit, dude. Give me control. I got this. And then, like, reasonably enough, I guess, Steve debates it for a second. But then as the dog's breaking through, obviously, he submits. And as Mr. Mark takes over his body, and gets, like, the mummified Moon Knight suit just wrapping about all around him. And he proceeds to fucking manhandle that scary doggy. And then it's just cut to credits. That was the end of the episode. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I'm excited to see... A, there was a point where he had, like, two shadows, so I'm thinking that implies that there, there is another one, because I have, I have been, I guess I lied earlier, I've been spoiled that there was more personalities. I heard there's, like, five or six, but it looks like they're only doing three, 
So I'm interested to see like who that is, what they're like, obviously. I want to see some more Mr. Moon Knight fights because he's fucking badass. And that's about it. I really enjoyed that show. I can't wait for next week. I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Thank you if you listened this far. I really appreciate it. And if you would help more, I would appreciate it if you would go to the podcast page and just give it a follow, give it a like, whatever. Just that way, new episodes show up on your list and all that, and you won't have to search me up. You'll just see me there. And if you don't want to do that, thank you for listening this far anyway. I appreciate it. Bye!